Well, it's good to see you here this morning, and uh, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And if you are using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you can find our passage on page 886, page 886. We are in a Christmas series right now in the Gospel of John, and we are going to be looking at the first 18 verses over the next several weeks. Uh, Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5, and this week we will look at verses 6 through 8. And so I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 1, and then read through to verse 18, and then we'll focus this morning on verses 6 through 8. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You this morning for Your Word, and we thank You for the opportunity to turn to Your Word again, and I know there are so many in this room this morning who can testify that it is by the power of Your Word that their lives have been changed and transformed, that there was a time where they opened the Scriptures or they heard Your Word preached, and they were changed forever. Father, I thank You for the power of Your Word in my own life and how it has changed and transformed me. And so, Lord, as we come together in these moments and as we turn to Your Word, we pray that You would be with us by the power of Your Spirit. And, Lord, we pray that You would demonstrate even now in these moments the power of Your Word in our lives, that You would change, that You would transform, that You would save, that You would redeem for Your glory. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, this Christmas season, we are in a series entitled, God in the Flesh. And we looked at verses 1 through 5 last week, and now we come to verses 6 through 8. And in these verses, 
John the Apostle, who is writing the Gospel of John, he tells us about John the forerunner of Jesus. So we got two Johns here, okay? We got John who wrote this book, who is John the Apostle, and then we have John who is the forerunner of Jesus. These are two separate people. John's an apostle. He wrote this book. John, the forerunner of Jesus, is a man who prepared the way for Jesus, who announced Jesus' coming. And it's interesting because in the other gospel accounts, so we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the other gospel accounts, John, the forerunner of Jesus, is referred to as John the Baptist. We probably all know John mostly by that title, John the Baptist. But in the Gospel of John, John is never referred to as John the Baptist. Rather, he is referred to as the witness. In fact, that word witness is used 14 times in reference to John. And one of the things that we see here right away as we think about John the witness is that this gospel account is intending to convey to us the truth that this good news about Jesus, this news that God has come in the flesh, this news that we celebrate at Christmas time is not to be hoarded, but rather it is to be spoken, it is to be shared, it is to be testified to, it is to be proclaimed. We are to bear witness to it. John himself serves as a model witness for us, and we will see this this morning in our text, because John knows, one, who he is, and he also knows who he is not. So John knows who he is, and John knows who he is not. And it is by looking at his life and seeing how he bears witness that we then ourselves may become faithful witnesses for Christ. As we look more closely at our passage this morning, I want us to consider, first of all, who John is. And we are going to make three statements from our text regarding who John is. And then we will consider who John was not. And we will make one statement from our passage regarding who John was not. So, first of all, who John was. And the first statement here that we want to see is that John was a man. John was a man. Look there in verse 6, and we read these words. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now, we've already looked at verses 1 through 5. We did that last week. And the prologue of the Gospel of John, which we find there in verses 1 through 5, presents us with this magnificent, glorious, beautiful vision of who Jesus is. So we saw last week that Jesus is the Logos. That means He is at the center of the universe, and He is the defining reality that makes sense of everything else. Not only is He the Logos, but we see in the opening verses of this Gospel that Jesus is eternal. There was never a time when He was not. He has always existed. In addition to that, we saw that Jesus is God. He is God of very God. Not only is He God, but He is also distinct from God. 
So he was God and he was with God. He was alongside God. In other words, what that means is that Jesus has his place within the Godhead. There are three persons within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they have always existed in perfect communion and joy and unity and fellowship with one another. So he is the Logos. He is eternal. He is God. He is distinct from God. He is also life. He created all things, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God the Father created the world and all that we see through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is light. In the Bible, the idea of light connotes the idea of understanding. And Jesus is the light of the world. It is through creation and it is also through his incarnation by becoming a man that he reveals to us the knowledge of God, who God is. And so in these opening five verses, we see this grand, beautiful, magnificent vision of who Jesus is. And then there's quite the contrast because in verse 6 we read, Now there was a man. There was a man, and his name was John. It's striking because when we read the first five verses of the Gospel of John, we might conclude that this glorious, beautiful, magnificent, eternal light is in no need of anyone to put him on display, to make him known. And yet, contrary to what our assumptions might be, in terms of thinking that this light needs no one to put him on display, John tells us right away that God has chosen a man, a man to make this glorious light known. It's counterintuitive. Because the way what we see here, what John is teaching us, what God is teaching us through the Apostle John here, is that the way that the true light, the glorious light of the Logos will be made known is through the almost imperceptible, flickering, small lights of men and women like you and me, of a man like John the Baptist. Some of us might read the Scriptures and we see accounts of who Jesus is and we see accounts of who God is and how glorious and how powerful He is and how sovereign He is and we might conclude, oh, well, God does not need witnesses for Himself. But that's actually not what the Scriptures teach us. The Scriptures teach us that, yes, God is glorious and He is powerful and He is sovereign and He is majestic and He has determined in His sovereignty that He will make Himself known through small, imperceptible, flickering little lights like you and me and like John himself. We are called as men and women to bear witness to the light. Not only that, but we also see, not only was John a man, but we also see that John was sent from God. John was sent from God. Look there in verses 6 and 7 and we read these words. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So we've seen that God will use a witness to point and draw attention to the light. But in order for there to be a witness, that witness must be raised up. That witness must be given a light. That witness must be sent forth. 
And that is what God has done. He has chosen a witness and He has sent Him forth. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone bearing witness? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so what we see here is that God sends. And so we should not conclude that because God has chosen to make Himself known through witnesses, that God is fearfully and anxiously wondering, oh, who will bear witness to me? It is not as though God sent His eternal Son into the world, and then He had a second thought. He thought, oh my goodness, I've sent my Son into the world. Who will bear witness to my Son? I guess I will. I see this guy over here, this strange guy out in the wilderness who wears camel's hair and eats locusts dipped in honey. I guess I'll use him to bear witness to my Son. No. God had purposed and planned from eternity past that He would raise up a man whose name was John, and that man would be sent by Him to bear witness to His Son into the world. In fact, we read in the Gospel accounts that before John was ever conceived, an angel of the Lord came to John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and said, you will give birth to a child, and he will bear witness to the redemption and salvation which I am sending into the world. And after John was born and after he grew up and became a man, he became a fearless witness on behalf of the Lord Jesus. And why? Because he had been sovereignly sent by the God of the universe to bear witness to the Son. Of course, we know that as John gave witness to the Son, that after a while, King Herod had him arrested. And King Herod not only had him arrested, but he had him executed. He chopped his head off, and the witness was silent. But God had been working all along. Jesus had been investing in his disciples. Jesus had been ministering to those men who had gathered around himself. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I am sending you to be witnesses to my salvation and redemption. And God continued to bear witness to His Son through the apostles. And God continues to do the same today. He is raising up. He is sending. He will always have a witness to His Son. He will always have a witness to His power and His glory and His gospel and His ability to save. Because God sends witnesses for His great name's sake. Third, we see that John himself, not only was he a man, not only was he sent from God, but John was a witness himself. Look there in verses 6 through 8, we read these words. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, I mentioned before that in the other gospel accounts, John is always referred to as the Baptist, John the Baptist. But here in the gospel of John, he's not referred to as the Baptist, rather he's referred to as the witness. Now, you see this in the text that we've just read here because just in these couple of verses, he's referred to as a witness on three occasions. 
Notice we read there in verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness. And then verse 8, to bear witness about the light. And so this actually fits in very nicely to John the Apostle's larger purpose for writing this gospel. John the Apostle actually tells us very explicitly why he wrote this book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John tells us very clearly why he is writing this book. He is writing this book so that we might be persuaded, we might be convinced, we might be moved to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus and to follow Him. And so as a result, we see that the Gospel of John is full of witnesses. So what we see here in these opening verses in the Gospel of John, that there was, there was a man who was called to be a witness. Now this theme is then traced through the whole Gospel of John, and we see witness after witness after witness. So for example, God the Father bears witness to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. We see also that Jesus bears witness to himself. In John chapter 8, verse 18, we read, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And when Jesus stands before Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus says to Pilate, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. For everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 26, we read, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. So here we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all bearing witness to Jesus, bearing witness to who Jesus is. But not only that, we also see in John's Gospel that the Scriptures bear witness to Jesus. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. But not only that, it's Jesus' works that bear witness to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 36, The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. We also see that John the Baptist, of course, we've seen that here in these verses. He bears witness to Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. But not only was it John who bore witness to Jesus, it's all the apostles who have been called to bear witness to Jesus. So in John chapter 15, verse 27, Jesus says, "...and you also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning." And then John the Apostle, who wrote this gospel, he also bears witness to Jesus. At the crucifixion, this is a description of the crucifixion, and John writes, He who saw it bore witness. He's referring to himself. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. 
Now listen, this is quite an assembly of witnesses. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, the works of Jesus, John the Baptist, and all of the apostles bear witness to who Jesus is. And they bear witness so that we might believe, so that we might be convinced, so that we might be persuaded to trust in Jesus and to follow Him. But we might wonder, with such a remarkable assembly of witnesses, we could call this the hall of fame of witnesses in the Gospel of John, do we have anything to contribute? But these are not the only witnesses in the Gospel of John. The Samaritan woman also bears witness. You remember the Samaritan woman? The Jews would have referred to her as a half-breed. Samaritans were a mix between Jews and Gentiles. And so she was a half-breed. She was despised by the Jews. She was also an adulterer. And Jesus meets her right where she is at the well, and He speaks truth into her life, and she is transformed by the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. And then after she experiences Christ's grace in her life, she bears witness. And in John chapter 4, verse 39, we read, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony, because of her witness. Not only did the woman, the Samaritan woman, bear witness to Jesus, though, we also read later on in the Gospel of John that there, are, there is this crowd of unnamed, unidentified people who were present at the resurrection of Lazarus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and they also bore witness to Jesus. Now, this is remarkable. We will never know these individuals' names, not until eternity. And yet they bore witness to Jesus, and this was the result we read of in John chapter 12, verse 17. The crowd that had been with Jesus when He called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised Him from the dead continued to bear witness. So they began to speak about what Jesus had done and how Jesus had transformed the lives of others. And here's the result. So the Pharisees said to one another, look, the whole world has gone after Him. So here's these unnamed, unidentified witnesses who just speak of what Jesus has done in the lives of others. And as a result, the Pharisees, who are so opposed to Jesus and frustrated with Jesus, they, in exasperation, say, the whole world has gone after Jesus as a result of these unnamed, unidentified witnesses. And my friends, that's what the Lord Jesus is calling each one of us to. He's calling us to join into that crowd of unnamed, unidentified witnesses to speak of Jesus, to how He's changed our lives and transformed our lives and changed the lives of others, and through that witness, to bring others to faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian and you've experienced the transforming grace of God, then this is the call upon your life. To be a witness in, in your home with your children, to teach them the gospel, to point them to Christ. 
in your neighborhood, in your workplace. I know this has been a particularly difficult year to try to think about how can I share and speak to others about Christ because we're practicing social distancing, right? we got masks on. We can't be with people as much. And yet we need to continue to pray and to seek the Lord and ask Him by His grace to give us opportunities. Even as I look back over this last year, I'm grateful for the opportunities that the Lord has given me at various times, whether it's been in the barber shop or talking to a neighbor on my street or in a funeral home to bear witness and to speak of Christ and His saving power. And I trust that there are some here in our church that by God's grace, He will speak into your life in such a way and He will grab hold of your heart in such a way that He will send you into the darkest places on the earth that you might bear witness to the light. Even as we're giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering during this Christmas season to support our missionaries who are taking the gospel to the nations. Some of you, God might call to go to the darkest places in the world to bear witness to this light. So John knew who he was. He was a man. He was sent from God. And he was to be a witness. But then also, John knew who he was not. John was not the light. John was not the light. Look there in verse 8 and we read these words. Well, I'm going to start in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Here it is, verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So it's it's just as important for us to understand who John was as it is for us to understand who John was not. And it was just as important for John to understand who he was as it was for him to understand who he was not. And this is, this is a particular emphasis in John chapter 1, that John was not the light, because this is stated here in verse 8, and then we could call this a negative affirmation. This negative affirmation is then repeated again and again and again in John chapter 1. So skip down to verses 19 to 21, and we read these words. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered. When they say, Are you the prophet? They're asking, Are you the Messiah? And he answered, No. And then skip down to verses 26 and 27, and we read these words. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, as we think about our calling to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus, we naturally would ask the question, well, how can I do that? How can I witness for Jesus, and how can I witness for Him in a way that is faithful? And there's a lot that we could say about that. There's a lot that we could unpack there, but this is a particular emphasis in our passage. 
that one of the things we need to do in order to be a faithful witness for Jesus is we need to recognize we are not the light. And the reason why that's so important is because for every witness, there is the temptation that as we witness, to witness in such a way that we point to ourselves as the light or to use the light in order that others might be more impressed with us and not look to the light, but to look to us. And John serves as a model example for us of what it means to point again and again and again, not to ourselves, but to the light. I was, uh, when I was thinking about this a number of years ago, I came across a chapter in uh, Paul Tripp's book, Dangerous Calling. It's a chapter entitled Self-Glory. And in that chapter, he lists a number of dangers when we pursue self-glory, when we seek to glorify ourselves rather than seek to glorify Christ and to glorify God. I want to mention a few of these to you, and then I'll just add my own kind of personal comments to each one. I'll mention a few of them. I, I don't imagine that all of these will apply to everyone here, but I imagine that some of these will probably apply to everyone. First, self-glory will cause you, this is the first danger, self-glory will cause you to parade in public what should be kept in private. Self-glory will cause you to parade in public what should be kept in private. Jesus warns us of this, right? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Second danger. Self-glory will cause you to be way too self-referencing. Way too self-referencing. Always talking about ourselves, right? We all have temptation to do this at various times. Preachers in particular are susceptible to this temptation. We should be wary of the preacher who tells stories all the time, and he's always the hero. He's always the one at the end of the story that saves the day. That's self-glory, right? That's self-promotion. Third, self-glory will cause you, self-glory will cause you to talk when you should be quiet. Self-glory will cause you to talk when you should be quiet. In other words, it'll, the temptation is to dominate conversations, right? Because we want everyone else to know how smart we are and how, um, how impressive we are. And so we aren't interested in hearing from others and asking questions and learning from them and knowing their experiences, but we're tempted to dominate the conversation. Four, self-glory will cause you to be quiet when you should speak. Now, did you catch that? The third one is self-glory will cause you to talk when you should be quiet. But also, this is the reverse danger, self-glory can cause us to be quiet when we should speak. And this is particularly important as we think of what it means to be a witness. If we are obsessed with what others think of us, how they perceive us, how they evaluate us, then when we have opportunities to speak for Christ, when we have opportunities to be a witness, we will not speak. We'll be quiet when we should speak. We'll be quiet when we should talk. 
This is one of the things, one of the reasons why I imagine that John the Baptist was such an effective witness for Christ. If one thing is apparent about John the Baptist is that he didn't care what anybody thought about him. I mean, here he is, he's living out in the wilderness. He wears clothes made of camel's hair. He eats locusts that are dipped in honey. John already knew everybody thought he was nuts and crazy. And so he had no qualms with speaking the truth of Christ into people's lives. They already thought he was nuts. One of the passages of Scripture that's been kind of going in my own mind, in my own heart, over the last several weeks and months is a passage from Galatians where Paul is writing to the church in Galatians. He's having to correct them on a number of things because they are swerving from the gospel. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia is, am I still trying to please you? If I am still trying to please you, I am no longer a servant of Christ. Now, of course, there's ways that we should, out of love for Christ and others, we should seek to please them and to honor them and to serve them. But what Paul is saying is that should never cross over in the line in such a way that I care now more about what you think of me than what Christ thinks of me. Because I can't really love you and serve you the way I should if I can't speak truth into your life as Christ would have me to. So these are some of the dangers of self-glory. When we're focused more on ourselves rather than on bringing glory to Christ, it will hamper our ability to point to the light. Let me also say, though, that one of, a, one of the wrong ways to respond, though, to this danger of self-glory is to then retreat and to say, well, I don't want to glorify myself. I don't want to put myself out there. So I'm just going to kind of retreat into a, a shell I'm just going to be like invisible. Nobody will see me. I won't take initiative. I won't plan. I won't step out. I'll just be invisible and hide. That also will prevent us from being the type of witness that God is calling us to be. Because notice in our text here that John was a man who pointed to the light, right? He did not engage in self-glory and glorify himself. But he was a man who was full of ambition. Do you see that in the text? We read there in John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And why did he bear witness about the light? That all might believe through him. Now there's a godly ambition. That all might believe through him. That's an ambition you can get behind. That's an ambition you can go for with all your heart. That through my life and through my words and through my witness and through my testimony and through my example, others might believe and trust in Jesus and follow him. And I think this is so important as we think about being a witness for Jesus because when we're faced with those temptations to daydream about all the wonderful things people are going to think about us and say about us if we do X, Y, and Z, or to talk about ourselves endlessly so others might bask in our glory. When we're tempted to go down that road, we can remind ourselves that we live for a much bigger vision than that. That we have a much greater ambition. 
That my ambition is, is not with those petty small things, but my ambition is that others might, through my life and through my example and through my witness, might know Christ. They might experience His grace. Their lives might be transformed. Christ might be honored and glorified in my life. And when I compare that ambition to the petty, pathetic ambitions of glorifying myself, then it begins to lose its appeal. This is illustrated really well in John's ministry. Later on in the Gospel of John, uh, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, are really concerned because John initially in his ministry, everyone was coming to John. Everyone was coming to John to hear him preach. Everyone was coming to be baptized by John. But then Jesus' ministry began to emerge. And as Jesus' ministry began to emerge, people started to leave John's ministry, and they began to go after Jesus. They began to go hear Jesus preach and to be ministered to by Jesus. And John's disciples are concerned. He's saying, they're saying, look at what's happening here, John. You're losing all their, these people. They're, they're going to, to see Jesus. And John was presiding over a ministry in decline. Nobody wants to do that. And John answered his disciples by saying, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the heart of John the witness. And John uses this this illustration of a bridegroom and a bride, right? So what is a bridegroom? A bridegroom is just the groom. We, We say groom. It's the man who's going to be married, and it's the wedding day, right? And we have We have certain traditions in our own culture, so the night before the wedding, you have a rehearsal dinner, and everybody gets together, and and there's a best man, and that's who John is. He's the friend of the groom. He's the best man, and John says, when everybody gets together the night before the wedding, what is my responsibility? Is my responsibility as the groom to stand up and give a great speech about how great I am? to talk about all the things I've done in the past and how wonderful I am. No, that's not my role as the best man. My role as the best man is to stand up and to speak about the groom, what a great guy he is, how he's going to make a great husband, how excited I am for him for the next day. And then when it is the day, the wedding day, and the groom is there and the bride enters in, and that's what's happening as Jesus is coming. He's the groom and he's coming for his people. He's coming for his bride to be united to his people. And John says, what's my role as the best man? My role is not as the bride comes down the aisle and the groom receives her here at the front. My role is not to jump up on the stage and start drawing attention to myself, right? What does the best man do? The best man stands there and he looks towards the groom like this. All focus is on the groom. All attention is on him. And I'm not begrudging that. It's my joy. I'm delighted that all the focus is on the groom. 
John says, that's what I've come to do. Not that others would look to me as the light. I am not the light. He is the light. Later on in John chapter 1, we see John doing exactly this. Look there in John chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. We read, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And so Jesus is, now imagine this, John's got crowds coming to him. He's preaching, he's baptizing. Jesus begins to emerge on the scene. Jesus walks by. And what does John say? Immediately he points to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what do the very next words say? The two disciples heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. As a a result of John's testimony, he's pointing to the light, he's pointing to the Lamb, he's losing disciples. They leave John in order to follow Jesus. And John says, that's the whole point. I must decrease in order that he might increase. This is the call that the Lord Jesus has placed on each of our lives. It was the call that the Apostle Paul himself embraced. Paul said regarding his own ministry, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Well, how do we live like that? How do we live in such a way like John did, like the Apostle Paul did, where we say, I'm not the light. We're just here to point to the light. Well, of course, John and and the Apostle Paul are great examples for us, but they are not the final and ultimate example for us. Rather, the final example for us is the Lord Jesus Himself, who, although He is the true life, set aside His own glory that He deserved, that He was worthy of in order to accomplish our salvation and redemption. That's actually what we celebrate during Christmas, isn't it? Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through eight. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. That's the incarnation. That's God the Son in all His glory, setting it aside in order that He might become a man, that He might be born a baby. And not only that, Paul goes on to say, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And so Jesus went low. He went low to become a baby, to become a child, but He went even lower than that, set aside His glory and took upon Himself at the cross our shame, our disrepute for our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be cleansed, so that we might be redeemed. And it's only when we see the Lord Jesus Himself in all of His humility, and it's only when we receive and experience that grace and that mercy and that love in our own lives that then we will be set free to say, with joy I live 
not for my glory, but for His. Not to bear witness about me, but to bear witness to Him. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would give us the grace to do just that. Father, this morning as we have read and as we have sung and as we have prayed and as we have preached Your Word, we have borne witness to the light. And Father, we pray that if there are those here this morning who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus, they've never believed in Him for the forgiveness of their sins and submitted to Him as Lord, Father, we ask that by Your grace and mercy this morning, by our witness, that they might come to believe. And so, Father, we pray that even now You would be saving and redeeming. And then, Father, for those of us who have experienced Your grace and mercy, Lord, we pray that You would help us, like John, to be a witness to the light. Lord, we thank You so much for the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we thank You for the salvation that You have given us in Him. Lord, forgive us for those times where we have failed to bear witness to Him. And, Lord, help us, even this Christmas season, even as we'll be gathering with family and friends and uh, talking Uh, with others at various times. Lord, give us opportunities to speak of Christ. And Lord, we pray that You would give us the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to bear testimony to who He is. Father, we pray that through what seems to be sometimes our imperceptible and weak light, Lord, we pray that You would save others and that You would be glorified. And Father, we confess that when You do so, it will be our joy. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.